let's speak the truth. And the truth is, you acted too late. You could have subscribed to Haven't Seen It on Apple, Spotify. You could have followed us on Twitter, Instagram, at Seen It Pod. But you didn't. Now I got to go and catch my flight on Air Force One. Coming up next. Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenay. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today, that person is myself, I believe. Tommy, you've seen this before, right? Yeah, I saw this once in like a middle school sleepover back in the day. So <laughs> that going for me. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I had definitely seen bits and pieces of it on TNT or whatever, because this is probably the definitive TNT movie. Oh, yeah, this is totally like a Sunday morning on like TBS or TNT or like HBO or whatever. Not even a Sunday, just like around the clock, I feel like in the or in the yeah. mid 2000s, this was on nonstop around the clock. Yeah. Um we're going to dive into the movie in just a minute. There is a little bit of news I wanted to cover. The Gray Man is coming out on Netflix. It's the new Russo Brothers film. Those iconic film directors, the visionaries behind Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. We know it was all and, them for and sure. And community episodes. <laughs> and community episodes. And now listen, I'm not discrediting the fact that the Russo Brothers are probably very good to work with actors and get those dynamic performances but the russo brothers said on the tour that saying like oh this notion that a theater is a sacred place is bullshit it's like dude i get you're promoting a netflix movie and they're kind of down or whatever but you made a movie or you're listed as the directors of movies that made 2.7 billion dollars the highest grossing movies of all time i'm probably under on that figure and you're saying like theaters aren't sacred spaces like yeah we get it this podcast works because we don't have to go to the movies to watch the movies that we cover on here. We can watch them at home. That doesn't mean that there isn't a different experience at the theater because there absolutely is. Think about all the movies like, yeah, that you uh, like have seen before where like the first watch, you maybe watch it on like uh, your shitty tablet. I'm speaking for myself right here. And then uh, you go to a screen of like, I don't know, somewhere where repertory theater and you see on the big screen and how much different that experience is. Uh, this is probably my case for arguing why I should see Dune on the big screen, but uh, whatever. But still, it, there's a different experience right there that you get just from the, you know, theatrical experience. You know, yeah, our, my TV's never gonna sound as good as like fucking the local AMC or whatever it is, you know? <laughs> yeah, like I remember I saw 2001 in A Space Odyssey in college on like my computer and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, yeah, okay, that's, that's a movie. I get why it's such like a big deal. And then I saw it for the 50th anniversary in like, a film print of it that was restored or whatever and it was a completely different experience so you can't just say one or the other just because you're making netflix movies and you're using these whole teams of cgi artists to basically just like pre-render the movie for you so you don't have to do any actual choreography or directing it's just all laid out for you russo brothers well, well it's it's like uh, i'm not even gonna shit on the marvel movies right here but just like for example those movies are movies that you want to see in the big screen uh, because 
I know you hate this, but I personally love it when people cheer during movies, like during scenes, during like Marvel movies or whatever. We were going crazy, like, yeah, let's go. Uh, or listen, I don't hate it. I hate it when it's, you get like two a movie. <laughs> it's not warranted. You hate the like pre-credit thing where it's just like Sony Pictures, let's go. Fuck yeah, Sony. The logo, <laughs> dude. Oh, hell yeah. It's like, no, <laughs> you no. You would no. have hated you would have hated. I saw um, Dawn of the Dead, the original one, uh, at the Museum of Modern Art recently in New York City. And throughout the movie, as enthusiastic crowd, where people were really cheering and clapping for almost everything. It was like George Romero's name would pop up, people would start clapping. Uh, one of the main characters would pop up, people would start clapping. A zombie would pop up, people would start clapping. I was into it, but I feel like you would have gone fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, just like let me enjoy the movie. Like laughter is one thing because that's like an impulse reaction. Applause is like you know something's coming, so you just applaud it. And I was very fortunate that my Spider-Man, whatever, I can't remember the names of the <laughs> Spider-Man movies, but the one that just came out with all the other Spider-Man, so spoiler alert, that they, people tried to applause, but there was only, it was only really for like when the big reveals came and I was like, all right, yeah, cool. Warranted. <laughs> you get your pass, uh, cinema goers. <laughs> you have your little alarm out there, <laughs> little tracker. <laughs> so Russo Brothers, <laughs> this is my message to you now that you say that movie theaters are dead and to get over it. Get off my plane. <laughs> Great segue. <laughs> anyway, this is Air Force One. How the hell did this happen? How the hell did they get Air Force One? I'm the President of the United States. The President's plane, Air Force One, has been hijacked. Experience the motion picture event of the year. My husband will not negotiate. Sir, parachute. I'm not leaving without my family. Jim isn't making this decision as a president. He's making it as a husband and a father. Harrison Ford. Get off my plane. Air Force One. I guess I didn't check the TV spot before I downloaded it. I didn't realize we were going to get that quote back to back. just see how much we can clip in uh, Get Off My Plane into this podcast. <laughs> get off my plane. I mean, you asked be, for it, Tommy. You did. That, that, that becomes that becomes our morning shock jock, like douchey thing, where that's the only clip we play though, over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Listen, any chance I get, I'm just I'm gonna drop it on you. You know that anything <laughs> on this podcast board that's there, you know that I can just drop it on you at any point. Yeah. I'm not a shock jock radio guy, but when you deserve it, <laughs> I'll, I'll bring the thunder. So this is Air Force One, Tommy. What did you think of this rejected script for Die Hard 3? I did like it. I mean, despite the fact that, like like you said, it was just like a beat-for-beat beat Die Hard like, ripoff in, in some ways. Where, like, for example, uh, the National Security Advisor character is like the swarmy douche that's talking to the terrorist and immediately gets shot just like the guy in Die Hard. Like, what's his name? Um, the cokehead. The Hard. cokehead, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the cokehead, the guy. So it's just like they had the beats, but they played those beats really well. And I think it was different enough with Harrison Ford being the president. We can easily see this be rewritten where like John McClane's become the president after uh, thwarting like three terrorist attacks and now he's the president. And this is what he's going to do. <laughs> yeah, that would have been like the really, ha- like if they had tried to do this 15, 15- like they tried with the other Die Hard sequels that didn't do as well. If they had tried to do that again it- and you just had a real hack writing it. But John McClane's like your everyman, relatable character on the streets. Making him the president would have been just such an awful idea that I really wish they did it <laughs> just to see what would happen. Hey, so basically if you change like nothing about the movie, except for the fact that it was John McClane in it, would this movie still work? <laughs> I mean, kind of like if you yeah, removed, yeah. 
I don't like the word or the term, but if you remove the canon of the situation, right? And this was just like, this came out before Die Hard. You probably, this is probably held in a much higher regard because of like the pacing and like the thrilling atmosphere. This one feels a little more generic plot points, right? You have the president in the first five minutes being like, we stopped the, the terrorist guy, but we didn't do enough. The dead will speak. We're not negotiating with terrorists. You're like, okay, well, he's going to negotiate with the terrorists in this movie. Then he goes back to the plane and he's just, you know, he's just dad on the plane, despite being the president of the United States. He just wants to drink a beer, watch the Notre Dame Michigan game. That's all he's looking to do. It has those little beats, but it's it's also nice. I think those are positive attributes because it before the action kicks off, it really lets you get into it. I do have some nitpicks for sure. My most minor nitpick, they introduce the president. If you haven't seen the movie, they introduce the president uh, after this, like they kidnap this hostage that they try to get out late, like that the terrorists are trying to get out later by taking the president kidnapped on Air Force One. I don't know if that made sense, but I hope it did. But then the Ru- the Russian ambassador is kind of giving this like monologue. And then he goes, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States, and this is your first like, you know, zoom in close up of Harrison Ford. It's like, why don't you say the name of the president so we can get the character's name? Because I don't think they clearly state the name of the president in like one sentence or just say the president of the United States, James Marshall. They just don't do that at all in the movie. I, I, yeah, yeah. When I, when I was thinking about it, because I was texting you like right when I was watching the beginning of this movie, uh, the first 20 minutes. I mean, the only thing time I can remember that like actually saying President Marshall was like a, C, a CNN reporter on the TV or something like that saying like President Marshall is leaving Germany today or, or Russia or the fuck it was. So they just didn't care about that aspect. If it wasn't for Wikipedia, I wouldn't have known what this character's name was. Let's be real. <laughs> you got like Jim and Marshall, but I'm like, what? Is, I was like, what is this person's name? And then I looked it up. It's like, okay, it's Jim Marshall, but they never like explicitly state it. And I'm like, that's the, there, there's a, such a clear, I'm not a screenwriter, but there is such a clear line where I'm like, it would make sense if you introduce the president and then say his name right after where you're literally introducing him. So might as well say his name. Um, the fact that they just let a Russian TV crew on the plane is bananas to me. Right, so so I, I had a point about that. I was wondering, like, in general, are, like, even, like, American journalists, are they even allowed on Air Force One? I, I don't even know. <laughs> I, I don't know the history of it, but I do think that journalists can. But usually it's, like, people that are in, like, the White House. Or maybe they did pre-9-11, I would, I would imagine so, because otherwise this movie is just such like a logical fallacy for a contemporary audience. Oh, God. Um, to, to touch on that real quick, Wolfgang Peterson said on the DVD commentary, the director of this movie, he was like, I wouldn't have been able to make this movie if this came out post 9-11. And he's just like, critics would have hated it. People would have been like, fuck this, like fucking uh, Mark Wahlberg. It would have been Mark Wahlberg in the title role, probably. <laughs> No, Mark Wahlberg, it would have been, no, he, he's still too young then. If this was made in 2011, pe- one, people would have hated this movie for whatever reason. Two, then it would have been Mark Wahlberg. But I don't get it because this is just like, I feel like this is very of that era, like generic adult thriller for audiences. And one of the things I was th- thinking about is like, they never make movies like this anymore. And I wish they did. doesn't necessarily have to be Air Force One, for example, like, the president of the United States, but just these like little adult thrillers. Like I just think of like the Born Identity, which they didn't think, like I imagine going into the Born Identity, they didn't think, oh, this is going to be this massive movie franchise, but it, it just blew up because it's just this nice, well-made 
well-executed, well-acted thriller that the audience is able to follow and it's what they want to see. But now I'm thinking it's like, okay, well, it's Jack Reacher, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, the difference is now it's all Amazon Prime TV shows where it's just like, like you said, Jack Reacher, um, what was the, the Jack Ryan uh, is taken over by John Krasinski on Amazon Prime too. Prime's slowly become the home of like the dad adult thriller thing. Or like if this was made today, this would be a Netflix series probably or like an Amazon Prime, like original series. Can Tom Clancy come up with a name other than Jack in his title characters? It's Jack Reacher and what, what was the other guy? No, Jack, Jack Reacher isn't him. He, he, didn't, he didn't do Jack Reacher. I th- why do I think they're this? I think that Jack Ryan and Jack Reacher are like the same person. They like are very generic, like adult, like spy sort of. Uh, is Jack Reacher even a spy? I'm probably pissing off all the Jack Reacher fans over here. You listen, enjoy, enjoy your Jack Reacher. I don't watch it. I know nothing about it other than John Krasinski and Thad from Blue Mountain State are now the two guys that that do it. I'm sure they're very well made. I'm sure they're exactly what you want. I just don't get around to watching those shows. Maybe I will when I'm like a dad or something. Like that yeah, feels yeah, like exactly. a dad show, you know, just like nice, relaxing. Like, oh, yeah. you know, I'm in this, I'm in this office, but I really wish, I really wish I was doing that. Hunting terrorists. Well, this is a, probably a good segue that like Harrison Ford was um, in the middle of a run right here where he was just like his uh, mid nineties action star right here. Like he kind of left behind the Han Solo and like Indiana Jones right here. He started doing like the Jack Ryan one. You know, Patriot Games and Clear Present Danger were right before this. He also did like the Fugitive, and so at this point, Air Force One was the perfect time where like Harrison Ford, yeah, he's Han Solo, yeah, he's Indiana Jones, yeah, he's Jack Ryan, yeah, he's whoever his catcher's name is from uh, the Fugitive, <laughs> the guy who didn't do it. <laughs> he just had had his like little lane right there where he was just the guy that was making these types of adult thrillers and people were just ready to go. And that's why this movie is probably like I was. Uh, the fifth highest grossing in the box office of the year, which is insane to think about. I mean, it's of the time for sure. Also, who is the better actor? Because I think there's two that can just play pissed off, begrudging man so well. One is Harrison Ford and the other is John Hamm. Those two can just play pissed off guy so well. Like John Hamm in Top Gun Maverick was literally just playing pissed off Don Draper the entire time. And it was perfect. I'm just like, these, these two have that something about their charisma, man. It's a bummer that John Hamm hasn't had his own little lane like this that Harrison Ford does. Cause like, well, you could... it's, it's because this doesn't, this it doesn't exist anymore. There's no ab uh, unless he commits to a TV series, which he I, doesn't seem like he really, after Mad Men really wants to commit himself to another TV series. Yeah. He has the Mad Men money. So he's like, whatever. So, I mean, thank God Harrison Ford got casted because here's some other people that are up for the role. Kevin Costner was really, really off for this role. Okay. It'd have been all right. Yeah, I can see that. And then uh, this is from IMDb from here. This is where it gets just like more ridiculous and worse. Where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger apparently can't see that work. <laughs> He's too like one-liner and too just like, I don't know. Arnold Schwarzenegger is, listen, Arnold Schwarzenegger is an iconic figure of weightlifting and of movies. But man, when you need him to actually deliver a monologue. No. <laughs> Not carry there. a narrative? <laughs> no. I mean, at this point, he was a little bit of a better of an actor than he was in the 80s, but still, it wouldn't have gotten to that level. Um, so Keanu was also, uh, Keanu Reeves was the other person who was uh, considered too young, I think. I, I don't know. I, how I, do. I, I want the Keanu version of this movie. I want to see that audition tape leak at some <laughs> point. We're just like, what? <laughs> just Bill and, Bill and Ted as the president. Well, I mean, this is also speed and 
I mean, this is basically a variation of speed with a little more going on for it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, speed's like considered kind of like a diehard ripoff to an extent because it's like diehard on a bus, but it feels a little bit more than just diehard, like tiny bit different. But that one's simpler. This one follows more of the same beats, but it's when it follows that wealth of a story that diehard has, it, this will feel richer. But speed is like 90 minutes. It's cut to the bone of exactly what you need it. So should we get into uh, what are the best diehard ripoffs? Speed's definitely up there. I'd say this is up there in the pantheon of, like, this is clearly just diehard on a plane or diehard on a bus. Uh, we also have, what, Olympus Has Fallen, White House Down. <laughs> uh, I guess Con Air kind of counts. Toy Soldiers, which is kind of a mediocre, like, diehard in a school movie. It's all right. <laughs> with Sean Astin. And then we have Under Siege with Steven Seagal. And Sudden Death with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Those are probably big hits of you know diehard ripoffs and which one we say would be the top <laughs> probably sp- speed's the better of the move like speed i think stands as stands on its own and even this to an extent stands on its own but like the the parallels between this and diehard are a lot more clear than diehard and speed like speed is just bare bones but it's it's most of the movie takes place i guess this one too but like it just it's under such a shorter period of time you know it's like a it's a bus ride. It's not like when you're in a plane space and like the time you can mess with this space and time. Same with even a building, right? Like where you can hide, like you can kind of, you can cut a half an hour when you're on a moving bus and the bus is always moving. You don't have a lot of wiggle room to just like cut five minutes into the future. Like every minute has to be accounted for while that bus is still active. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely added like a different wrinkle to it compared to Die Hard, where now that we have movies that like we're considered like, oh, this is a speed ripoff. Um, speed would probably be the best. I'd say this movie right here, Air Force One, would probably be number two. Also, I guess shout out to Paul Bark because that's technically a Die Hard movie. <laughs> Get off my plane. <laughs> so if you're playing the haven't seen drinking game, <laughs> just every time you hear that drink. <laughs> Do we need to make that or should other people make that? I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just throwing it out there. So if you want to make it, Twitter, hit us up at Cinepod. <laughs> so basically, they all board Air Force One, right? I guess we were talking about the start of the movie. And Gary Oldman <laughs> is posing as a Russian journalist. Like, they killed these Russian journalists that were going to get on board. I did look it up in the interim. Back passenger cabin of Air Force One is reserved for the press. Okay. So like that is a thing. I don't know if that's still in there, but they like National Geographic filmed something and they were saying like, it's very rare that people get to see it, but it was so odd. And like, I get why they were doing it. It was from a narrative perspective where like the hostess lady on the plane is like, come on, let me give you a tour. Okay. Up here is where you can communicate with literally anybody. <laughs> and then the president's office is right here. Yeah, it's, it's dumb when you think about it like, uh, narratively, but like in terms of the movie, you kind of need that to set the scene and set the setting of like foreshadowing, like here's where you see here and here, here, even though it's so obvious when you're going around there. With her. <laughs> Gary, uh, Gary Oldman was excellent, and they actually yeah. they had real motive because the movie kicks off and General Ivan Radic, who was like a nationalist in Kazakhstan, I don't know, they tried to put a political situation on it, but it's obviously not well-defined because they're not trying to start an international fiasco over this movie that's another reason why this well there's two reasons why they'll never make a movie like this again there hasn't one they don't want to start any international conflicts we saw it in top gun where they're just like son you took down the opposing force like yeah we're not we're (laughs) not even we're not even naming anybody two people either love the president or hate the president at this 
juncture. I'm sure it was similar to that in 90s, but you can be a lot more vocal about your opinion. So whatever party alignment you think the president has, even if you write them as true neutral, like don't give them a political affiliation, kind of like they did in this movie, people are still going to be like, oh, well, oh, he's such a lib. Oh, they're such a Republican. And yeah. like, like the whole fiasco of like the country uh, on their knees or whatever, like uh, that pr- maybe would have existed in the 90s. Today, like half the people would be like, good, good. Get them out of there. Which is just like, all right, you're you're a fool for thinking that. They, way, they, they do keep it very big. But um, I mean, Gary Oldman, I mean, his, his Russian accent work for you because it works for me i don't think oh, it really breaks for sure <laughs> he's a tour he's a, he was like the he's a perfect cast for this yeah like where you get a truly talented actor to pull off an act and russian accent is tough to keep that long and he doesn't waver from it at all what, what i really like about him in this performance i'll admit when i i haven't seen this movie in about like i don't know 10 years or so i only saw it once i kind of realized midway through the movie that i mixed up his performance with the fifth element with this movie where i was like kind of confused because I thought that Gary Oldman was going to be way over the top and just kind of just like chewing the scenery and it's really more of a subdued performance I'd say like a little more restrained I think there's some great scenes right there where he just shows his menace but this is not in a over the top like cheesy way like he's in some other movies like in Fifth Element or uh, in Leonard Professional. Well he also doesn't really slip up right like so this is when long story short they want to release General Raddick they take over Air Force One they try to evacuate James Marshall, the president, Harrison Ford, but somehow he escapes from his his escape pod, which does not seem actually possible to do. But regardless, he gets out. It's a cat and mouse chase the entire way through. Gary Oldman's going to execute uh, Harrison Ford's family, or he's going to call the president of Russia to, to release Radek from the prison. And that's kind of like the buildup to, to this, the part where you realize that you cannot trust this person no matter what. And I think it's a really excellent performance from Gary Oldman in this scene in particular. Now what? Now we return to our homeland. My brother will decide how best to use you. And now that we know you are willing to negotiate, our mission needs so many things. You said you were going to release us. Forgive me, I lied. just kept the soviet music in because it kind of slaps to be honest with you great great energy right there um also another diehard parallel i just picked up on the villain doesn't make a mistake the entire movie and still loses kind of like diehard where it's just the watch that he releases from there is shattered glass that gary marshall gets to to break free from his cuffs james marshall not gary marshall (laughs) that's the director from Perry woman (laughs) semantics Tommy. James Marshall, Gary Marshall, does it really matter? And <laughs> Gary Marshall would take it as a compliment that I compared him to a Harrison Ford character. So <laughs> he, he would have been after that. <laughs> hey, uh, you take you take those W's, right? If somebody was just like, you know, Tim, you just remind me of Han Solo, I'd be like, 
you know, you could never say a kinder thing to me if you even tried. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one's going to be mad. Well, the, well, it depends if you go the Harrison Ford route or the kid that played him in the solo movie. Yeah. Well, no one wants to be him. <laughs> that's just another, like, diehard parallel I picked up there. But, like, you know, they have real motives. They actually have more motive in this than they did in that in Die Hard, like Hans Gruber just like wanted the money to kind of disappear off the face of the earth and get whatever weapons with the Barabons or whatever that they were holding up at the at the firm. This one, it's like, no, this guy was you took him prisoner. We are loyalists and we want him out. So it's like it's almost like a stronger persuasion element as to why they're doing this, because hijacking Air Force One is lunacy. I like how casual they like uh, underlie his stuff right there where, I mean, right in that scene that we just played where he just says uh, like, I thought you're going to release us. And he's like, ah, I lied. <laughs> it's just like, that's it. It's not like a menacing, just like, oh, well, I lied and you're going to die. And then it's just like, yeah, whatever. I lied. You're going to die. So just <laughs> big villain, big villain laugh. Like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, exactly. and then he, he tackles him and then the fight. Yeah. It doesn't he have been like. Moment. Easily like cheesy, uh, like Rocky and Bullwinkle type of Russian accent right there, where it's just like way over the top, but it's just so subdued. And I like how the score just swells right when he says that too. So the score, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like the most memorable score I've heard in my life, but it adds to the movie. It it does its job for the movie perfectly. Exactly. It's like nice it's patriotic, done. triumphant, very March, very John Philip Sousa influenced perfectly. You know Randy American. Newman. Randy uh, Newman. Randy- did it? No, Randy Newman was supposed to do it at first, but uh, Wolfgang Peterson, director, said it was replaced because it was too serious to the point of almost parody. Where it was just like, this is almost like an unintentionally funny. Um, so I think it was Jerry Goldsmith did the score, and he did it in 12 days. And he did a fine job for 12 days. I'll say that. <laughs> you know why else Wolfgang Peterson picked Jerry Goldsmith over Randy Newman? Why? He looked at Jerry Goldsmith and he said, you got a friend in me. Wouldn't that be the other way around? Yeah, well, it was a joke because because he's got a friend in him and he's using his song to burn Randy Newman. No joke didn't uh, land. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got it. I got it a little bit. <laughs> Did you get the joke, Tommy? Did you understand what I was trying to tell you? I get your Randy Newman reference. <laughs> okay, good, good. I'm glad. Half this movie takes place in one hallway scene in the basement of the plane. Like literally half the, like he spends half the movie on the, in the same little set because he comes out he realizes the plane's taken over and he doesn't like he like he just keeps like monitoring their steps he doesn't like take any action until they come to him and it's very very interesting in that regard he also uses a cell phone he found in a passenger bag which he was somehow able to connect to in 1995 or 1997 <laughs> or whatever that presidential technology that, that's one of those things i'll be able to like hand ring over it's just like ah whatever Oh, yeah, I don't care. It's a good, it's yeah, actually yeah. a very good narrative device. And it's also when we get one of the great Harrison Ford lines in this movie. Listen to me. You know who I am. I'm the president of the United States. I don't think that means I don't shoot you. Put your hands behind your head and move. Go on, Biat! Lucky day, but more can my people do tell the F-15s to fire at the plane? Even if they try, we're equipped with tactical countermeasures. What are you telling me? What do you mean? I just want you to feel secure that way no one will get hurt. The computer will fly circles around any missile they fire at us. 
No hit, just a shockwave. He's telling us what to do. Believe me, all that had happened is we'd get knocked off our feet. That's all. Shut up, goddammit! God. Is he saying what I think he's saying? If we're going to act, we have to act now. It's too risky. The president is up there with a gun to his head. He's asking us to do that? To Air Force One? He's not asking. Your commander-in-chief has issued a direct order. Do it! Shout out to Glenn Coase in the end. <laughs> she she has a great performance in this, and she has a nice little arc, too, where the first time she gets on the phone with uh, Gary Oldman's character, Igor Korshunua, I'm not going to say the last name. Um, Igor, he gets on the phone, you can tell she's completely overwhelmed by the moment and not able to like make sound decisions. And as it goes along, like in this one where she's like, this is your commander and speak commander in chief speaking now do it he does it and then towards the end where they they want to there's like a thing in the u.s constitution where if the president is incapacitated or taken hostage for example the vice president can sign a bill changing an order which was i believe the order to release radic from prison and he's like no this is his decision like i'm gonna let him do it and they're like oh you're gonna be weighed on the wrong side of history and then at the end, she gets to tear up that little bill being like, nah, bitch, I was on the right side of history. It, it was weird because the whole thing like there, of, uh, it was just basically what the defense secretary just like wanted to be like, I, I thought it was more so like him, like pass over the power to me because uh, they brought in Philip Baker Hall, which RIP, I, I want to do a Philip Baker Hall re- movie recently because he passed away. And I didn't even realize he was in this, but <laughs> we got it in. <laughs> That's why I picked this movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why we picked Air Force One, not because it's the 25th anniversary. In general, it's just like, Okay. Um, I, I just thought that there was kind of a power grab right there to the defense secretary more than it was like the center of that. Oh, of, of course it was, but she was on the right side of it. And it was, and her being defiant in her choice, where maybe if that was introduced to her at the beginning of the movie, right? She just signs it kind of like hand trembling or whatever, putting her John Hancock on the paper. No, she was like, no, this is the decision. This is the decision I'm going to make and I'm going to live with it. And she ended up being. She trusted her instinct and she was correct where she was completely overwhelmed and completely outplayed in the first half. Now, granted, they were not on even playing fields. They held a plane hostage. Also, what did you think of the scene where most of the people escape? Harrison's Ford character starts to leak gas out of Air Force One. They basically have to drop the plane down to 15,000 feet or whatever, and they use a fax machine to get this messaging off to. They're like, no, the phone lines are cut, but not the fax line. They're two separate lines. It's like... Peak 90s right there. It's like, oh, when the internet or phones are down, we always have fax machines. Don't forget that. (laughs) It's also peak 90s for, like, I don't know. Nobody uses faxes anymore, but just to be like, this is the way the technology works. And everybody in the audience just goes, yeah. I can't validate if that is true or not. I would imagine... Maybe, but somewhat. But then all these people just start jumping off the plane, and it's just so silly. It, it, it's so s- silly, but I like it. It's a nice little levity, like moment of levity in a very serious movie. Yeah, it was. It was pretty nice. I've seen, especially the person who suggested the facts. So seen of being like, "Oh, she's alive." Not everyone obviously made it off out of that scene. Um, you were texting me last night about this, about like, God, the CG in this movie just has not aged well, like at all, and. Oh, That's no. one of the scenes where it was very apparent right there. I always think it's funny watching 90s movies now. Like, uh, for example, I, wa- I rewatched uh, the Matthew Jurassic Park. Park. That's... No, that still holds up. That's I, the only I, one that does. That was a trip. But yeah, yeah. I was, I was watching um, the Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie over the weekend because I was hungover. And uh, that was 
just a perfect hungover movie. I'll can I can I ask the question? Yeah. Yeah. Why? I mean, I know you gave me an answer, but why? <laughs> uh, because I was hungover. I wanted to see Godzilla fuck up some shit. And honestly, I'm not gonna lie. I actually like that movie a lot more than I thought it would. Uh, this rewatch. So I mean, it wasn't a masterpiece. But anyways, um, to finish my point, that movie. You know, this, uh, my friend uh, Will, who's on the podcast before, he was talking about how the practical effects on the movie worked where it's just like all like different like oil, uh, water tank things, like boats falling over, like practical effects. But then the second you got the CG in that movie, and you see like the CG Godzilla, it just takes you out of being like, oh God, this looks awful. And it's very similar to Air Force One right here, which is just like, you know, all the stunts in the movie work just fine. But the second you see exterior shots of the plane and stuff like that, it's clearly not a Top Gun situation where we have like, you know, actual air force one uh, actual plane just like that at all <laughs> did i i laughed when air force one crashes into the ocean i legitimately la- burst out laughing because it looks so goofy yeah. and just ridiculous <laughs> like it looks so terrible i'm like you would have been so much better off just using ilm and using practical effects man this is pretty tough I think that what happened was that, like, after Jurassic Park, like, so many studios and, like, directors got so overzealous and so, like, oh, CG, we can do anything. But they didn't really do any things that Spielberg did. And so, while well, you know, 30 years later, Jurassic Park still looks fine. Almost any movie from the 90s has CG or just, like, got to just get it off, off the screen right now. Like, well, fuck this. Spielberg was so smart with the CG in Jurassic Park because the C- it's not, the dinosaurs are not just CG. They're CG from wide shots from like movement shots but when you're close up on that t-rex in that first scene when you when it's revealed that's a puppet when it's face is crashing down on the car that's a puppet see when you're combining your effects the eye isn't picking up on the fact that it's not real at this moment and it's not or when it is or when it isn't because you're constantly getting that illusion blurred every other movie in the 90s was just like yeah we don't need to do that yeah that's fine don't yeah don't worry about it animatronics who cares we have a fucking computer now we got this (laughs) yeah it definitely it definitely dates the movie that definitely would have it definitely would have held it would definitely look better but it's not a big enough part of the movie in my opinion for it to really matter because like when it's dark and the it's just like a wide shot of the plane flying it looks fine Uh, it looks like a low budget tv show now yeah exactly there's nothing really i mean if if it was like literally like trying to be like a top gun type movie then yeah it would have sucked i mean so (laughs) But thankfully it wasn't. It was more inside the plane instead of outside the plane. <laughs> I keep referencing Top Gun. You didn't like the movie. What's going on with you, bud? I, I, I like Maverick. I didn't like uh, the new one. All right, I didn't like the old one. <laughs> Such a shame. Such a shame. I am a star. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. Who... I mean, it's Harrison Ford. Who's the star of the movie? Is it William H. Macy as man? I, I do want to shut up. Um, I think it's either between Harrison Ford and Gary Oldman. And, yeah. Um, I think the thing with Gary Oldman in this movie is um, I like that the movie doesn't exactly end right when he dies, but the movie loses so much juice the second that he's gone. The, the last third of them trying to land a plane really just, it's kind of boring. Like I feel like if I rewatch this on cable, I'm probably going to skip, uh, skip the, like change the channel once Gary Oldman's dead. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like the last 15 minutes of the movie and then the most predictable plot switch, the plot twist that we've all, we all saw coming, which also, do, which also is a plot flaw. Like, so the reason that they were able to get on the plane, Gary Oldman's crew, is that one of the secret servants, service agents was a 
uh, radic nationalist and he like let them on he opened the weapons gates to let them access the firearms and things like that i think if we're making diehard comparisons in this i would say that hans gruber might besides like darth vader might be the greatest movie villain of all time like that originates yeah. in a movie in this one and i think part of the reason that works is that that was the coming out party for alan rickman and for bruce willis in that movie in this one you have harrison ford you have indiana jones you have han solo you have decker from blade runner even though that wasn't a big hit but just like so many esteemed performances like such a legendary actor in 1997 and not to say that gary oldman wasn't accomplished at this point because he was he wasn't he wasn't the name draw that that harrison ford was there's a reason that harrison ford's the only man on the cover i don't think gary oldman got that name recognition until the nolan batman movies no i think i think harry potter oh well yeah, it's, it's around the same. It's around. It's around the same time. It's like oh four oh five. Yeah, that period. So yeah. I, I do want to shout out though. I mean, like, uh, how many recognizable like character actor that guys there are? I mean, like the Secret Service agent you said that uh, portrayed him, uh, Alexander Berkeley. He's the dad uh, step or the foster dad rather in Terminator Two that gets killed in the beginning. And we also have Elia Baskin, who's Peter's landlord in the Toby Spider-Man movies. The guys that always ask for rent. Uh, Sean popped up. I was like, "Fuck yeah, he's in this movie." I didn't even know. Um, and then Phil Baker Hall, obviously, as we said from Boogie Nights. R.I.P. To get back to we talked about Alexander Berkeley's character. Um, I didn't really like that they didn't have that much motivation for him. They kind of gloss that over and cut it out. Apparently, they were going to film a scene that like explained like why he was like a nationalist or why he's betraying the president. And they said it went a little bit too long. I could see if you had cut anything out of the movie, you could cut that out. I almost wish there was a quick moment. And I was like, here's why I betrayed you. <laughs> well, listen, I don't even need the motivations for that so much as like at the end, when they're making the final escape off the plane, I guess it's because he was going to be left behind on the plane no matter what, because the president was the last one out. But he just like pulls out the gun and starts shooting at people. I'm just like, bro, there is no point at, at this point to, to do this. But I guess, <laughs> I guess if I'm remembering correctly, like, he didn't have a chance to escape. So he was kind of like hedging his bets and being like, well, I'll finish out the final mission here because I'm going to die regardless. What's funny though is that like he had so many moments throughout the movie just to like betray the president right there. I mean, like there um, is one shot where he literally, Harrison Ford hands him a gun and say, and like, really just like, you're going to start this up. And I almost thought that was almost immediately going to like try and play to him, like trying to shoot the president. But it was a little shocking to wait until he got right there. <laughs> At that point, also, it's like, okay, Gary Oldman's dead, the whole entire Russian crew's dead. What do you have less for you, Xavier? <laughs> or Xander? <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting because I, I made a joke about William H. Macy, uh, you know, just being man in this, but I'm kind of like the man's been active since 1980. And I'm like, he was on, you know, in TV movies and stuff like that in the 80s. That man had to hustle for like 20 years to become a, a recognizable name. Like he was not like he was just doing TV bit parts and stuff like that until like the mid 90s where he was some smaller characters. But outside of like Pleasantville, this is and Far- Fargo was his first big, big role. But like following up Fargo, how did he just get man in command of this, you know, man important in U.S. Yeah. government on Air Force One. It is, it is weird seeing him in this, where like he pretty much doesn't have that much to chew with. I mean, I guess he helps like you know land or land the plane or not even land the plane, but like stabilize the plane. But like 
he's you think you think Will and H Bates would be a bigger part of this. <laughs> Both him and Gary Oldman had big ninety sevens, Boogie Nights and Air Force One for for William H Macy, and then the Fifth Element and Air Force One for Gary Oldman. Like that's those are big years for those guys, and you know guys that probably had been acting for a little bit to kind of get some steam going. Like Fargo, I feel like Fargo's kind of developed more into like a cult classic because of the directors, where I feel like the the Coen brothers kind of got their their blank check, if you will, Big Lebowski onwards. That's kind of like the one that kind of like really set pushed them, them off. Yeah. Really set yeah. them off. If, but I don't. I mean, I don't know that I wasn't alive at the time. But yeah, um, it's. I think it's Harrison Ford. Uh, it's just it. It's he's right about at the point where he's about to stop giving a fuck. But he still kind of gives a fuck in this movie. And it's yeah. it's that blend, like because then there's that like stretch he has in the early two thousands where he does what what is it called Hollywood Cop or whatever where he just, Hollywood Homicide I think Hollywood Homicide yeah and he it's yeah, just, yeah. it's very clear that he does not give Phony. a fuck anymore. That's his paycheck period. <laughs> unless <laughs> you're unless you're Disney backing up the Brinks truck to get him to be Han Solo again in, in the Force Awakens and probably had to pay him even more to get him in the Rise of Skywalker. Where it's like, oh, he's uh, he looks like he's trying. Where they're like, here's ten million dollars, come do this for us, you know. Uh, he he definitely found his thing where he's just like, yeah, I'll I'll do it. Oh, I got to do this now and just fine, I guess. Yeah, uh, he delivers like so many great cheesy one-liners in this movie. Like, um, obviously, the aforementioned "Get off my plane," but I love if you give the massive cookie. <laughs> yeah, that's another good one. And and of course, I'm the president of the United States. No. Yeah, that delivery, that delivery is just hilarious. Like, don't you and know who I am? <laughs> Harrison Ford has this just like he can drop, he's so like it's such like a mellow voice, but he can drop it so stern and forceful and just like uh hats notice that it is so like powerful and very distinctly Harrison Ford. That's what I really like love about him. It's it, it's like he always kind of keeps the same voice, but he's just able to inflect it at the right moments. And I think that's like a big reason why he became a, you know, one of the biggest stars Hollywood's ever produced. Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. Would this movie work as a Muppet adaptation? We're both going to say no to start for sure, but let's talk ourselves into it, Tommy. Yeah, this movie is not enough, goofy enough to get through it. I mean, like, well, you're going to have Gary Oldman like threaten to shoot like one of the Muppets and just like Muppet, like comes out of their brains or something like that yes that would be awesome <laughs> that would be the movie that's what you need we just need the hyper violent uh, Muppet action movie but this movie isn't violent enough to get that to that level Gary Oldman would be the human you'd keep and then you'd have Kermit be the president <laughs> and Piggy be Glenn Close right oh no someone's on the plane oh. yeah it would just and just watching like Kermit like puppet chop other Russian Muppet bodyguards or whatever that'd be hilarious with yeah yeah exactly just just like flying his like limbs around and stuff like that and just like you see one of the uh the guys get like shot or something like that and just felt goes everywhere just like stuff and comes out <laughs> disney i know you're family friendly but come on dude just you know, like just hit us up man we're we're, we're gonna take the mu- muppets and make them make you're not gonna believe the kind of muppets we're about to make okay so review time Tommy. give me okay. your score so, uh, yeah, this is, I think, my second watch, really, of this movie. Um, I did like it on, the, on this rewatch. Um, it does play the generic Die Hard, like, this is essentially Die Hard on Air Force One. 
as the president. So, uh, I mean, we've been laboring that to death over this. But overall, it still hits those beats pretty well. It's still an engaging action movie. Here, supports Bagdenic. Gary Oman is a great action movie villain. It's a great idea um, to have more of a subdued performance and we get to see the flip side of your fifth element. So, uh, I'm going to give this, I think, 3.5 out of 5. So, it was a fun movie. It wasn't the most amazing, like, you know, original movie I've seen, but it's still, it was a very fun watch. Yeah, listen, this is a great, it, it was a TNT movie for a decade for a reason. This is a great shut your brain off, just kind of like, just sit back, relax, enjoy. You're going to have a good time. Uh, Harrison, Form, Harrison Ford is dynamic. Gary Oldman's excellent as a villain. Some nice little like action set pieces in there as well. Like really well edited, really well paced to kind of keep the tension all the way through until Gary Oldman dies. But like last 10 minutes, like, you have to get them off the plane safely somehow. So I give this three out of five. Very fun movie. Totally recommend it. Three out of five. Tommy, any final thoughts before we sign off? So uh, thank you guys for listening again. Uh, you know, feel free uh, to give us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. Really helps out the pod. And then you can follow us on social media at SceniPod. Um, that's on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. So uh Next week, we're covering The Terminator. So that's going to be a good one. Timmy, I don't know how I've never seen that. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know, but I'm about to resolve my sins. I mean, you're, you're the guy that hasn't seen The Godfather, so I really <laughs> don't want to hear it from you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where, where do I get to stand? I only just saw Forrest Gump two weeks ago. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week.